From Cities Church, you're listening to Gospel Stories, conversations about encountering Jesus amidst life's challenges. I'm Nick Offenkamp, your host, and now here's the show. Peas, pineapples. Is this testing for the uh, for the pops? Yeah, testing for the pops, the peas, the peas. Yeah, it's the good. Pops in the fs, Philadelphia. Looks on oh. phonics. Yeah. The S's. <laughs> some some sizzle. So, yeah, yeah. So nice, nice, man. Well, uh, Kenny, you are the first person that I've ever sat down with who is even known to check for all the, uh, the peas and the oh, pops and the, solid. the sizzles, which, uh, I think just speaks to your comfort behind a microphone mm. because, uh, you are a podcast host, right? Yes, I have been. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about a couple of the podcasts that, uh, you've, there's how many are you currently keeping up with? Just one, sure, okay. just one. Yeah. But in the, I've been on host of others in the past. Yeah. And it's theology for the rest of us. Theology for the rest of us. That's it. Yep. I love it. It's like the best podcast title. Thanks, man. Other than maybe gospel stories. That's yeah. That theology for the rest <laughs> of us. Definitely number two. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's a very close, close second. Close second. But this is a little unique because mm. typically you're on my side of the microphone. Right. Doing all the interviews, right? Right. So how does it feel to be in the hot seat as the interviewee? Feel, I, you know, it feels a little uncomfortable. It feels like you feel pressure. Yeah. <laughs> a, a pressure to perform for the people. Uh, I think, it, yeah, I think there is a sense of where it, do, it does feel very different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I'm, uh, I'm super grateful that, uh, you would endure the pressure right now <laughs> in order to, uh, to share your story. And, uh, so Kenny, you recently came on staff at city's church. Yep. What would make you do such a crazy thing like that? Um, really, uh, as, as generic as it may sound to some people, the prompting of the Holy spirit. Yeah. I, I know that sounds really crazy to some people, but it's that simple. Uh, in fact, if I'm honest about the logistics of it, it actually doesn't make, it doesn't seem to make total sense to some of my friends, some people who know me in their minds, it feels like where well, you, you had been in pastoral ministry, you, you left that for an intentional reason. And now you're back in the church. Like what I, some of my friends, it feels like, it feels like I'm going back to something that I said that I felt like I wasn't huh. like, like it's almost regressive in the minds of some people, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, but based on what the Lord's been doing in my heart the last year, it's actually exactly what I think uh, really the last year, as I've not been in a local church, I felt more and more of the Holy spirit prompting me that that's really where I belong. Yeah. And that, that for a while I thought maybe not, but I've kind of, it's been reconfirmed in my heart the last six, 12 months. And so that's the reason why. And uh, I love city's church. And so when the opportunity came available to jump on the team, I, uh, I want to be a part of it. Yeah, man. We're so grateful. We, uh, six, seven months praying just solid that, <laughs> that the Lord would, uh, would bring you over to, to us. And there were many times where it just felt like it didn't seem likely at all because you've been teaching up until recently when you right. came on staff with cities, right? Yep. So tell me a little bit about your, your teaching career. Yeah. So, um, was on staff at Bethany global university, a small college here in the twin cities area and, uh, was originally hired in the missions department and then started taking on responsibilities, overseeing, uh, uh, specific programs and then started teaching in the classroom and then really loved that. So really spent the last two years, um, 
in the classroom with students and uh, was seemingly looking like I was going to have more opportunity to do that, take on more responsibility, uh, both in the classroom as well as some of our online teaching. So that's been, uh, it was fun and exciting. Yeah. I I loved it. And I still do love teaching in that setting. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. And so getting a little bit more into your background Mm -hmm. now you've, you've bounced around a little bit, right? Like where a lot actually. Yeah. yeah. So where is, uh, like hometown for you? Where'd you grow up? What would you say? Like you identify with most as far as place up until 18, I lived in Philadelphia, but born and raised in Philly. Okay. So all, all things, Philadelphia Eagles fan, a hundred percent. There's a big, I mean, 20, was it 2017 season? Yeah. yeah. I've game. rewatched the Super Bowl multiple times. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> okay. So, so Philadelphia, Yep. Uh, born and raised, lived in Illinois briefly for two years, the college Bible college there. Okay. Uh, I was a part of a small Bible college and an intern at a church I moved to Illinois there specifically because that church was, uh, was really well known for having this awesome youth ministry or like a pastoral training program for people who wanted to be youth pastors. Yeah. So when I was in high school, I decided I wanted to be a youth pastor. And so I specifically moved to Illinois for that. And then I did another internship at a church in New Mexico briefly for seven months, then moved back to Philly right before my 21st birthday and became a, uh, became an assistant youth pastor. So I was there for two years. Moved to San Diego for a year. I was on staff at a church there. That was kind of a long, crazy story in itself. Moved back to Philly at age 24 and uh, from 24 to 30, ended up living in Philly, but I wasn't in youth ministry or pastoral ministry at all. Okay. I was, uh, I was working in real estate and other stuff. Sure. Sure. And then did you spend time in Florida? Yeah. So then yeah, at age 30, right after I moved back from Philly for six years, I moved to Texas for a year and a half. And that led me to meet some guys that recruited me to go to Florida. And I lived in Florida for four and a half years before moving to Minnesota for the last you know, two plus years. Holy cow. Almost man. three. Yeah. So you, you, you've yeah. been around a little bit. Been, yeah. Several, several there's places. A, there's some sort of magnetic pull to, uh, to Philadelphia. It seems like every, uh, every few years, you at least end back up to, there. Back to, yeah. it, it, Cause my family lives there, right? Sure. It's home. Sure. Um, Absolutely. So it, it, there's, there's a familiar, familiar feeling about the city. Totally. Every time I go back. Totally. Absolutely. And then, uh, growing up, I mean, so if, if you felt a calling to going into youth ministry mm-hmm. when you were in high school, did you grow up in a Christian home? No, my parents were not believers. Uh, they're still not believers. I pray for them every day. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I never really been to church much growing up. Uh, maybe I went to Catholic mass a handful of times, but we didn't, we weren't a church going family by any means. Um, I'd later learn things about my parents that realized they were actually both kind of hostile toward the idea of going to church mm. for, for hurts and pains they'd experienced in their past. Sure. Um, and, uh, I mean, I really, I didn't know anything about Christianity. I knew that Jesus was supposedly his birthday. <laughs> and I knew if you said Jesus Christ in school, you would get in trouble for cussing. Okay. <laughs> I literally, I didn't even know Easter was a Christian holiday until I was like 12 or 13. Someone yeah. told me that that's the day we celebrate Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm like, what are you, no one's ever come back from the dead. That's stupid. That's absurd. No, like I remember, like I remember literally having this moment in middle school when, like, when I realized that Jesus did raise from the dead, and I would tell people, like, why is this not on the front page of the newspaper every day? Yeah, like, this is the biggest piece of news ever. That's still a great question, actually. <laughs> like, why is it? Why am I just now finding out? I was like, I was like angry at the world wow. for not telling me. I was like this twelve year old kid just being like, Jesus rose from the dead. Do you guys not realize this is a big deal? Um, that's literally. I remember having that conversation with people. Um, but I was, uh, yeah, I was in middle school and my, my friend, one of my friends in middle school, this guy, Jim Roach invited me to church. He said, you want to come to church? And I was like, uh, why? And literally his answer was 
because there's a lot of pretty girls. <laughs> that's a great, that a great response for a 12 year old to give another 12 year old. Uh, that's literally what he said. And I thought, well, I mean, at the time I was like, well, I, I like pretty girls. I guess you're, I'll go to church. You're a 12 year old boy. Exactly. Right? <laughs> what, what do you have to lose? <laughs> that's, that's literally what I thought to myself. So, yeah. um, I'll go to church and he was like, yeah, my mom will pick us up. So I told my mom, my mom didn't at the time she was fine with it. Um, so we were in seventh grade, Jim Roach's mom, her name is Robin Roach. She picks us up from school Wednesday night, takes us back to her, their house. I hung out with Jim. We did our homework. Uh, we had dinner there. I'd sat around the table with a family having dinner, which was something my family rarely ever did. Yeah. Um, and these guys, I mean, you guys do this every, every night. Like you guys actually like being around each other. This is weird. Um, and then she drove us to the youth group that Wednesday night. And it was the first time I'd ever been to any kind of church, you know, like setting other than maybe a handful of Catholic masses when I was really young. And, um, and that was, and she drove us home Yeah. after, and we were driving home. So what'd you think? We had about a 20 minute drive home. She's like, what do you think? So we ended up having a kind of a brief dialogue about, yeah, you know, it's cool. Uh, a big church, big, big youth ministry, you know, a couple hundred students, three, 400 students on okay. Wednesday night. Kind of like non-denominational mega church sort yeah. of deal or okay. yeah, uh, uh, officially a part of the assemblies of God. So charismatic, okay. yep. um, a, a little tinge of prosperity gospel a little tinge of seeker sensitivity. Yeah. You know, if anyone's familiar with those terms. Yeah. Um, yeah. But mega church, um, trendy, cool, hip. Yeah. Uh, it was in the nineties, but really kind of progressive for its time in some ways. Sure. Um, so took us home, drop us off at, you know, and drop us, drop me off at home at Wednesday night. That was in seventh grade. And that became, um, that literally became my, my routine until I graduated high school. Wow. For six years, I had dinner at the Roach family house almost every Wednesday. Eventually we got driver's licenses. So we drive ourselves, but, but for many years, that was our, Jim's mom would pick us up from school on Wednesday night, take us back to their house. We'd hang out, have dinner. She'd drop us off at church for youth group. She'd leave. She'd come back two hours later, pick us up and then drive us home. And it wasn't just me. It was a kind of a, a handful of guys, all of Jim's friends. And, um, it was really her way of doing evangelism to her, yeah. to her son's friends, man. And uh, Robin Roach really became, um, a spiritual mother to me, really like a second mom. Um, I ended up, I would hang out at their house all more than just Wednesdays. I'd be there all the time. I'd, I mean, regularly sleep over. Jim would stay at my house. I mean, we, Jim became my best friend. We're still good friends till this day. Yeah. You know, 20, whatever plus years later. Yeah. Um, he's still one of my closest friends in the world. Um, and it's impossible for me to share my story of coming to faith in Christ without the Roach family mm-hmm. being a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I attended church there for, you know, about nine months before I came to the realization that I needed to put my faith in Christ Yeah. and the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of my heart. And I made a profession of faith at Christ when I was, uh, eight, uh, in eighth grade, 13 or so. Yeah. And, um, and really lived for Jesus, uh, you know, as good as a high school student could do by the grace yeah. of God all through my high school years. Um, and Robin Roach was a big part of it. We, I remember dialoguing, we'd get in the car Wednesday night after we're after the sermon of the youth group. And we would talk about whatever it was. And then she'd give him to give us her thoughts. I remember asking her opinion. Um, I remember, uh, I forget the exact date, but it was, a, I think it was the 25th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Um, and I remember saying to myself, well, what's the big deal of abortion? Like, why is that a big deal? And I remember her having a conversation saying, well, the reason why we believe in life is because we believe God created life. And she began to explain to me the biblical rationale for why, why we would, uh, why we would take the position we take. And I, oh, and I, it, just, it was these brief we weren't, we weren't like long sermons, it was five, six minute conversations. Yep. And little did I know that those conversations were shaping the way I would view the world. Totally. totally. The entire trajectory of my life impacted. Um, 
And so, and so Robin Roach, um, was a big part of that. And I, I think, I don't, I don't mean this is, this is going to sound a little condescending toward her. I don't mean it to be, but she was a very ordinary person. Yeah. And, and I mean that like she was a part-time secretary at a small church, actually not at the church we were attending, but she was a part-time secretary at a small little Presbyterian church, um, which is actually the church they attended. They, they went to a small Presbyterian church Yeah, and then they didn't have the, the that Presbyterian church didn't have a youth group. So she let her son go to this Pentecostal mega church youth group on Wednesday nights. At the time, I didn't know the difference between Presbyterian sure. Pentecostal. We both start with P. Yeah, exactly. enough. Yeah. Uh, looking back, I'm like, well, it's interesting that they, that she allowed that. Uh, yep. but, uh, but, um, she was, uh, she was, you didn't have never been to seminary. Didn't have any special degrees. She was just a regular woman who just loved her family. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's incredibly dignifying, like praise God for the simple faith of mm-hmm. Robin Roach and just, so often the the most powerful means of evangelism is simply that the relationship, the investment, yep. the sincere care for those mm-hmm. around us. It's not about having all of the the theological answers and categories and all yep. of the, the I's dotted and T's crossed, but it's actually the Lord just using us in our simple, ordinary, faithful presence. Mm-hmm. And that's so cool that, uh, you know, that in those little five, six minute conversations, just over the course of the, the years, God would really use her and uh, her witness to, to shape you in such a profound way. Profound way. Yeah. And As, I hope this is an encouragement to anyone who out there who feels, if you feel inadequate, if you feel ordinary, yeah. you are exactly the instrument that God, that God wants to use, that God can use yeah. uh, to shape a lot of people. It's really cool. Yeah. Amen. So as we've uh, talked about the, the purpose of, of this podcast mm. is, uh, is to talk about how all of us as Christians, like even after Jesus has saved us, like mm. we're, we're promised that in this world, we will have tribulations. We will go through yeah. very trials of various kinds. And, uh, and it's amazing how in God's providence and design, we actually experience his nearness, the, we experience the realness of Jesus in unique ways through the trials that we endure. And so man, I'd love for you to just share about a, a time that Jesus has become more real to you through something hard that, that you've gone through. Um, the, the biggest, there's, there are two significant ones, but the one I really, I think the first one, um, where Jesus really had a radical, uh, really, I felt the nearness of Jesus in the most profound way was I owned a real estate company that ended up going bankrupt. Mm. And so, um, quick backtrack. Uh, yeah. So I'd been, um, you know, because of the youth ministry impact on my life, I wanted to be a youth pastor. I decided, so I went to this Bible college internship, um, at a church, um, it was called the master's commission. So anyone listening familiar with that anyway, um, but I was there for two years and then was really, was really focused on youth ministry. And I ended up um, doing youth ministry in Philly for a little bit. And then in San Diego and uh, the senior pastor ended up leaving. And so there was, there were some, a lot of things going on there, but I also ended up entering this kind of personal season. So I was 24 at the time and really um, had this moment of, uh, I remember the moment pretty vividly where I was going, do I really even believe this thing? Mm. Like at this point, theologically, I would, I would be more prosperity gospel, more, much more charismatic egalitarian, uh, if anyone's familiar with those terms, um, that would have been my, I would have been very anti-predestination or election. I would, I didn't know the word Calvinism, but that concept, no doubt would have been, uh, uh, the idea of the God's sovereignty would have been something that would have been like the way at least I would articulate it today. 
24 year old Kenny would think 37 year old Kenny's an idiot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I really had this moment, this almost crisis of faith where I'm not even sure I believed, um, like, do I really believe this? And at that point, uh, and I'd been following Jesus or made a profession of faith, been 10 years by that point from middle school until my, you know, age 24 now at that point. And I decided, um, I'm not sure I really believe this. And a lot of other things happened in my life, but I basically ended up walking away from church ministry, hmm. moved back to Philly. I was, so here I'm, here I'm 24, not sure what to do with my life. All I've done is, you know, Bible college slash youth ministry. Yeah. And um, I was like, what do I do in my life? I'm not really sure. And so I got a job at a school as a substitute teacher and I was coaching middle school basketball and um, was really wrestling through. And I decided that I just, I decided I wanted to be a, a real estate investor. I don't know. I don't know. I, I watched an infomercial, literally, you know, one of those get rich quick infomercials, buy houses, become a millionaire in a, in a month or two, that kind of, yeah. I was like, I'm going to go do this. And so um, I'm going to go learn how to do real estate. I bet there's a way to do this. I didn't know. And I just started um, doing research on my own. I would go to Borders bookstore. Remember Borders? Yeah. Uh, and Man, I would, that's a throwback I right know. there. And I would sit and drink coffee and um, read books. And so I decided I started buying real estate. I started buying houses and uh, that kind of took off pretty quickly within a few months, started doing well, got some partners. About what year was this? 2006. Okay. So it was fall of 06. Yep. And, um, and uh, I started, so I'm working at the school. And um, buying real estate, and then I, so I keep, so keep doing that, keep doing that, and then um, I was also uh, I was also waiting tables and bartending at Olive Garden on the weekends. Wow. Uh, so that was like You're this, hustling, man. This was a hustle mode. Serious. Um, so from like 2006 fall through like the early part of 2008, I was um, kind of doing all three of those things, and then in March of 2008. Um, I was at this place financially where I didn't need to do anything else. And so, um, so quit Olive Garden, quit, quit the school and, um, and started doing real estate. So flipping properties. And I really, I remember really having this moment during that, in, during that exact same period of time, I was really wrestling through my faith. Do I even really believe that? Do I even believe this? Have I fooled myself? Hmm. Um, Were you attending church at the time? And so, you know, when I came back from home, when I came back from San Diego in fall 2006, I decided um, I did not want to go back to attending my old, my old church. Yeah. I'd, you know, I'd come to faith in Christ there as a high school student. I had been an assistant youth pastor there, you know, couple, you know, years earlier. And I knew that if I went back there, I'd, I'd immediately be thrust into leadership Sure, because I was known. Um, I was loved by a lot of people there. And so I decided intentionally, I wanted to find a church that was big where I could just slip in and out and not be noticed. Mm -hmm. that, that was my one goal. Mm -hmm. And I'd heard of this church called Calvary Chapel. Um, but I didn't know anything about Calvary Chapel theology or philosophy. Yeah. So I started attending Calvary Chapel, but cause it was 10,000 people. That was my goal. So I would slip in right before the sermon slip out, right in the sermon. Like just, that was my goal. Um, and so I was doing that. I wasn't really involved in church, uh, other than attending every Sunday, but I didn't know, I didn't really, I didn't really relationship community. And I intentionally distanced myself from some of my old friends. Um, but I, but God's grace, I, um, I still was doing some research and searching. So I came across um, a guy named Norm Geisler, uh, mm -hmm. a famous apologist who mm -hmm. actually just died a couple months ago mm -hmm. um, and started reading some of his books. And then I was just doing some uh, pot looking for, I was kind of an early adopter to podcasting. So I was listening to podcasts and I, I found these sermons from this guy named John Piper <laughs> that I had never heard of before. Yeah. And he, he happened to be going through the book of Romans at the time. Yeah. So this is fall of 2006. So I'd say from fall of 2006 until March of 08, I was, I started wrestling with all the, like, I was sort of listening to a lot of apologists trying to determine, do I even believe there's a God? Do I even yeah. believe this is real? Simultaneously listening to this guy named John Piper, who started talking about these concepts that I'd never heard before. This idea of sovereignty of God and providence and Calvinism and election. These other things that were just like, 
Well, if that is the version of God that actually exists, the version of God I've been believing for 10 years is very different. Mm. And so for about a year and a half, I'm going through those simultaneously having this sort of existential crisis of like, what's my purpose in life? <laughs> yeah. um, and my real estate business takes off. So um, I remember uh, having a conversation with a friend of mine, uh, my friend Jamin just saying, I'm wrestling through all these things. I don't really know what to believe, what to embrace. And he, he just said, man, just, just keep digging. Don't, don't quit. And it was really helpful. Uh, encouragement. You just yeah. keep digging. Um, and so, uh, so I was attending Calvary chapel and at Calvary chapel, they're really big on expository preaching. Yeah. I'd never heard that before. This idea of just literally going verse by verse through the Bible was, was like mind blowing to me. And for the first time here, I'd been a pastor. I'd been, I'd been to Bible college, but for the first time I'm learning the Bible in a way that I'd never done before. And I was blown away by this. And so I started reading commentary, something I had never done. I'd preached, but never read a commentary. Um, and started reading commentaries and started, so I started, and then John Piper, I started doing research on who John Piper was and what he believed. And that led me to R.C. Sproul and Wayne Grudem and James White and, uh, and, and um, all these other guys that would have dramatic impact on my theology and, and worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, 2008 is rolling around. I'm, I'm doing well. Um, business is doing well. Um, I was, I was really on the trajectory to be kind of a, a self-made millionaire by age 30. I was, yeah. That was the trajectory I was on in my, in my mid to late twenties doing really well. Uh, the fall of 2008 rolls around. This is the major, this is the collapse of the market. Yep. And so, um, real estate prices everywhere collapsed. Houses I owned were half worth half the value, but we had positioned ourselves in a way that I could actually take advantage. Like as long as you didn't have to sell property, you actually could still do what you could be fine. Yeah. Was, you purchase more at right. a discounted rate. Exactly. Kind of thing. Yeah. And so, um, so actually 2000 and people go, did, did, the, did the market collapse and kill you? I'm like, no, actually I did. 2009 was our best year. Hmm. Uh, made a lot of money that year and did yeah. really well in 2009, largely because we started um, uh, leveraging uh, properties that are already owned and assets we already owned to buy more distressed properties. Um, and by, by late 2009, um, I was you know, attending Calvary Chapel, I started to actually get involved in a men's group there. Started in 2009, I started to build the relationships there and it kind of became home for me. Yeah. And uh, by that point, I would have, my, my theology drastically changed in a really substantial way um, by 2009 because of the books I'd been reading for from 2006, 2009. Um, and by that point, every everything I currently had previously believed was different than what I believed by 2009. Huh. Um, and by the end of 2009, we were doing really well. And I decided I was going to be more aggressive. And we launched a commercial mortgage division of our real estate company, me and some partners. And um, I, it was just arrogance. I just didn't believe I could fail. That, that was the bottom line. I was the golden boy. Everything I did was good. I, I, I was doing business with the guys that are twice my age or more. And uh, I was way more successful. Here I am at 26, 27, 28, yeah. making million dollar deals, doing business with guys that are twice my age. And I was, I was mopping up. And literally I remember this guy saw, I knew said, man, you, he's like, you've got the golden touch, man. Everything you do, every deal you're involved in makes money. Like, bro, you're brilliant. I mean, people started telling me how smart I was. How, yeah. and, and I just believed my own press um, yeah. and I didn't believe I could fail. And I started taking with business, started taking some um, risks that were, looking back and anyone who would be familiar with the real estate industry would say, that's gotta be the stupidest thing you could have done. But I was just, I was at the time I didn't think of it. I just thought there's no way I could fail. Yeah. Everything's gone so well up to this point. Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't it continue? Um, And by this point, really from 08 to 09, I'd really kind of relinquished the idea of ever going back to pastoral ministry. Like Mm -hmm. in my mind, the reason I was so confused when I was a pastor is because that wasn't, wasn't what, that wasn't what I was designed to do. The only reason I became a youth pastor 
is because I had had a youth pastor that was so influential. I didn't really, I wasn't really called a youth ministry. At least in 2009, that's what I would have said. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I realized by 2008, 2009, I'm thinking to myself here, you know, I'm 26, 27 thinking this is my call. My calling is to be a businessman and to give away a lot of money to the ministry. And, mm-hmm. and I did, we were very generous, me and my partners to mm-hmm. missions, to church, to charity. We were very, very generous by God's grace. We were able to do that. Um, but I was also extremely arrogant and, uh, started taking some extremely, very, very risky deals. We, we did some deals that looking back, I knew those were going to fail. Yeah. And so, um, literally within a, within the course of a year, um, here, I'm a businessman, you know, and I'm this, I know what I'm going to do in my life. My life is to make a lot of money, give it to the kingdom. And, um, I remember the first feeling where something went bad. It was in fall of, or late summer, 2010, we had a deal go bad. We had lent some money to a, to, on a large property. So we basically started lending money to people who were in difficult situations. We basically became a bank, a hard money lender, if anyone's familiar with that term. And so we, um, we, we loaned some money out and, um, we lost a couple hundred thousand dollars on a deal. Okay. But we could weather the storm. We had enough assets. Um, and then you lose another and then you lose another. And, and a, th- th- there's a moment, yeah. at, you know, late summer 2010, where I thought to myself, we've had a couple things going, go, not going well. This is not, this is, a, but I, but again, it's the arrogance of like, I can turn it around. Yeah. I can turn it around. I can turn it around. And, um, late 2010, it got worse. Spring of 2011, it kept getting worse. It kept getting worse. And every deal we did, literally everything I did failed. (laughs) And I'd had this, this unbelievable run. And I remember having this moment of like, God, did you just, if if I, have you, have you abandoned me? Like this feeling of like abandonment, everything I did went wrong. Um, little did I know God, God wasn't abandoning me. He was actually setting the stage for me to experience the nearness of Jesus, the the best I'd ever experienced it in my life. Um, and at yeah, this tell point me about that, man, that's so good. Yeah. The, the sovereignty of God was just theology in my brain at this point. Yep. And it was just books I had read. Um, trusting God's hand and providence was in my head. It was not something I'd really lived out. Um, and so, um, and I've up to this point, I'd really been inconsistent. If I'm honest in my integrity, really all through my high school years, I was decent in my college year age, but in my early twenties, really up until this point, um, I had, I, I would, I would be mostly good, but I'd have moments of lapse in my integrity, specifically around uh, sexual sin. Mm-hmm. So uh, pornography, and then just always pushing the boundaries with a girl I was dating, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. good. And, um, so there was this, this is up and down, very up and down. And so I'd go, I'd be good for two or three months and then have a, then have a, a, a few weeks, but ultimately 80% integrity is not integrity. That's not sure. And so that really, that was my story 18 up until this point still, even though I was a theology nerd and reading the Bible and, and had real affinity for Jesus, I'd still choose to sin in with girls at date and found myself in that. So this very, very up and down roller coaster simultaneously through this entire phase. Um, and in late, in early 2011, I remember having the moment where I realized having talking to my accountant, he's like, you don't have enough money. Like I'd make $20,000 in a month and literally have $30,000 in expenses to cover losses. Hmm. Um, we're hemorrhaging money. Yeah. Um, I lost a bunch of weight. It was the most stressful period of my life, 2011. And um, I remember uh, in May of 2011, I was leaving on a mission trip. Um, I'd been involved in an organization called Teen Mania Ministries. Uh, yeah. And so I'd been um, been on some short-term trips with them. And then in um, 
they had recruited me to be a short-term mission trip leader. So from 2008 until 2012, I would go on mission trips with them every summer. And because I was self-employed, I could go on a lot of trips. So um, I'd been on a bunch of trips, a couple dozen trips with them over the course of a few years. And uh, I was scheduled to go to Nepal and Thailand for two months on Nepal for a month in, um, or excuse me, India for a month each in 2011. I remember meeting with my accountant in May of 2011 and saying, "Um, well, I'm going on a mission trip. I'm going to be gone for two months. And when I get back, I guess we'll have to shut this thing down because, uh, we've, we've, we're, we're out of money. We're done. We're yeah. done. And, um, and it, I knew that in my brain, but it didn't really hit me. I went on a mission trip, had this great, great experience for two months. It was awesome. Come back, file for bankruptcy. Our business shuts down. And I remember the moment where like, it finally hit me. Like, hmm. um, here I am, I'm 29 years old, two years earlier, I was, um, on pace to be a self-made millionaire. I remember I used to drive around a neighborhood in Bucks County, which is Northern suburbs of Philly and pick out the houses that I would buy one. I'm like, it's a $3 million house. I'm going to buy that house one day. Wow. Um, I remember those moments. I, yeah. I was, I, I was hundred percent convinced I would be a millionaire for the rest of my life. Yeah, It was within reach. Well within reach. Right. Yeah. And here I am in uh, September of 2011. And um, I'm thinking to myself, I, I got hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and, um, and, and I don't, I don't know what to do. And, uh, and because most of my investors and partners that I had brought in were all mostly friends of mine, this now fractures a bunch of friendships. Yeah. Um, uh, one of my dearest friends, um, the two, he and I still to this day, our, our friendships never been quite the same. Um, but not, not Jim, different guy. Um, yeah. we, uh, just it fractured friendships. Yeah. And as I look back, it was mostly my arrogance. Um, and I would bully people into doing things and partners who would try to give me wisdom. And looking back, I would bully them into saying, no, we're going to do this. And it was just because I just knew better than them in my mind. Mm-hmm. I was smarter than you. Yeah. Yeah. I know you did that and you failed, but I'm smarter than you. <laughs> so we're going to do it my way. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I wouldn't have said that out loud. No, of course. But, but that's exactly back to that believing your own press kind yeah. of thing of just um, everything that you've done has gone so well. Um, yeah. And it unraveled so quickly. Yeah. It, it, it I, I went up really fast and came down really fast. And so here I am in the fall of 2011, um, bankrupt, um, like literally a house foreclosed on, um, my house is being to be taken away. I get, you know, getting, you know, that, that situation, um, having to sell a car that I own, like, um, just this very, very, just, I, I, and this was the first time in my life I ever experienced depression. I think, hmm. um, where like, uh, I, I'd never really been, I'd never been suicidal in my life, but this was the first time where I, those thoughts began to flood my mind. Should I just end it? Mm. Um, and I remember just getting like having moments where, um, where I just, uh, was, I just didn't want to get out of bed. There's no reason for me to get out of bed. And, um, and it was in those moments where I began to really understand like, like, uh, God's sovereignty. Um, and I read a book, um, or I, or I'd listened to a sermon. I can't remember exactly. It was a sermon or book. It was John Piper talking about, um, Joseph. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember reading back through Joseph, uh, Joseph's life and reading about reading through, I remember reading Genesis 50 where Joseph says to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. Yeah. And, um, and thinking to myself in Joseph's case, someone else sinned against him. In my case, it was my own sin against me. Um, I, 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 I brought myself into the pit in the slavery because of my own arrogance, uh, my own folly. Um, and I thought to myself, um, but God meant this for good. Kenny, you meant this for evil against yourself. You're the dummy in this scenario, but God meant this for good so that many would be rescued. I remember reading that. And that was, I tell you, I, this sounds like hyperbole. If not for that, I think I would have, I think suicide would have been very appealing to me. Sure. Um, I was ashamed. 
I, all my, I realized all my value was in my achievement. Yeah. The, the image of me showing up to, um, you know, with my BMW in the park, it was cool. Like I, I wanted to be the, I could travel, do what I wanted. Uh, yeah. I was a kid from the hood. I was just, I was a kid from the hood. All my family, all my cousins never graduated high school and were in and out of prisons. And, you know, they, they worked regular jobs. Kenny, I'm, I'm the smart one of the family. Yeah. The regs to riches, yep. American dream. And, uh, I imagine uh, then with yeah. your family and the people then that you grew up with too, like mm -hmm. they're looking up to you, holding you up yeah. as an example is, uh, you know, look, yeah. somebody's, uh, somebody's made it, yeah. somebody's done it. And <laughs> so at, that just adds to the weight of all the, of, of the fall, of the uh, crumble. Um, so fall of 2011 and I was just, I was, um, and I was just, I was so just heartbroken. I cried. Like I've never cried in my life. Mm. I mean, every day I just wake up and I would just cry. Mm. Um, I remember one time driving around houses I used to own that got taken mm. and, um, just be, just, just, just bankrupt yeah. and just felt desolate, desolate and felt hopeless and felt ashamed and humiliated. And, and, uh, I didn't really want to tell my family what was going on. Yeah. I, I didn't never really told everything, everyone, I kind of kept it, you know, in, cause I was just ashamed. I was humiliated. Mm -hmm. Um, I had lost money of people that I cared about investors that had invested, uh, their retirement money and their save life savings had been invested in, in deals that I had brought to them. And, um, here I am, um, bankrupt and lost everything. And, uh, so the company filed bankruptcy, closed that down in 2011. I didn't know what to do with my life. I literally, you know, bankruptcy court, they kind of let you walk away with you. They litigate. So by November of 2011, um, I, uh, I owned a car that I had, you know, was paid off. Um, they let me keep, and I had a couple thousand dollars in the bank. Um, and I had a place to live for a few months. Um, uh, I had an apartment that, that I had owned, but I was still living there and I had a few months to, to vacate basically. Um, and so I was like, Hey, what do I do in my life? And I got a phone call from a guy in Texas who worked at teen mania ministries full time. Um, that I had, you know, been on mission trips with them every summer, you know, by that point I've been on at least 25 mission trips over the course of several years with them. Yeah. And uh, this guy, Chemtel calls me and goes, Hey, Kenny, man, we love you down here in Texas. Everyone around here loves, you know, I was part-time. I'd done some speaking at some of their events. And, and he said, um, we, we want you to come full-time. Like, listen, we know he literally said to me on the phone, listen, we know that you've got a great business thing going on there mm -hmm. in Philly. And we like everyone around here has, we've tried to hire you before and we know there's no chance, right? But is there any way you'd walk away from business and come work full-time here? <laughs> <laughs> Funny you should say that. Kenzo. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so he didn't know. So I kind of told him a little bit what was going on. And he'd say, man, things were falling apart. And a lot of people would just say, oh yeah, you know, the market's been crazy for the last couple of years. Like everyone assumed yeah. that it was the market, but it wasn't the market. It was me. Yeah. And, um, and so I ended up, um, taking a job at Teen Mania Ministries in Texas in January, 2012, packed up my stuff. And I remember telling my family, people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just, you know, I'm just going to go take an opportunity to get back in a ministry like role. Mm -hmm. And, um, ended up working there. I was the executive director, uh, field of director operations for, uh, for acquire the fire. People are familiar with these yeah, large youth conventions. Man, uh, I went to acquire the fire uh, growing up. So anyone ever went to that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's it basically these youth conventions in like 30 different cities around the country. Um, a couple thousand kids. And so I would speak at some of them sometimes, or I was most, mostly, I would oversee all the logistics of the event. Yeah. And, um, that's what I did for a year and a half. Um, and while I was, but I'd have to fly back to Philly sometimes to deal with bankruptcy stuff. And, um, in fall of 2012, so a year after the business collapsed, I had to file personal bankruptcy because I had, um, had, I had personally guaranteed a bunch of stuff. And mm. so the, the business, the business collapsing wasn't enough. There was still a lot of debt outstanding. So I had to go back to Philly and then file business from bankruptcy. 
or excuse me, personal bankruptcy after that a year later. So I was in fall of 2012. And so just a mess. Um, through that process, I met a guy who's a youth pastor in Orlando, Florida, and he had seen me on a mission trip. He had been on a mission trip with me a couple years earlier and uh, he got to know me through acquire the fire. And he's saying, Kenny, man, he goes, dude, you're phenomenal teenagers. He was like, dude, when you're on these mission trips, teen mania mission trips were primarily mission trips for high school students. So mm-hmm. I would lead these trips, you know, I'd take 80 high school students to Thailand for two months, I took 200 teenagers to, to Mexico for 10 days, took, uh, took, you know, 60 teenagers to India for a month. And he, he watched me both through acquire the fire and through mission trips. And he's like, dude, you remember he told me, he's like, you're phenomenal with the teenagers. And I'm like, no, Joel, I'm like, he was, and he, and he made a comment, something like, dude, every time I, every time, every time you do something, you seem so good at it. And I was saying, Joel, no, man, I'm a loser. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nothing. I remember just like speaking very negatively about myself to him. Yeah. And I told him why. And, um, I was like, I'm a nobody, man. Like I'm, I can't do anything. Well, dude, I, I collapsed. Like I'm, I'm still depressed. I mean, I, I'm still not over the feeling. Yeah. And he remember him telling me, he goes, Kenny, oh, and he goes, dude, now you're ready for pastoral ministry, man. Huh. Like n- now, now, yeah. because the, the old version of you just thought you were tough stuff. Right. Um, he goes, this version of you is very broken. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes, this version of you, he goes, I, I didn't know the old version of you. He goes, but this version of Kenny walks with a lot more humility, walks with a lot of humility. And I was like, I don't know if it's humility or I just self-loathing. Uh, I mean, I, I just, um, sure. But he recruited me to leave team mania in summer of 2013. Uh, team mania was tragically on a, they would actually file bankruptcy a couple months later. They, they went under financially. And so there was a mass exodus of staff in 2013. And he recruited me to go to Orlando, Florida to go be a youth pastor. Oh, wow. And so I moved to Orlando, Florida to be a part of a church and uh, to go be a youth pastor for several years. Um, did that for several years. And, uh, and I tell you that, I don't know that I'm still recovered for the bankruptcy. If I'm honest, like yeah. I still days where I wake up where I feel like, again, I don't want to say depression because I don't want to, I never want to make light of those who really deal with serious uh, depression and related issues. Yeah. I mean, it's on a spectrum, right? Yeah. As far as, so yeah. But I'd say I have, mo- I still have moments that um, almost every time someone praises me and gives me a compliment of something. Um, I just have trouble. I, I, I think back to, I go, I know, I know the incredible failure that I'm capable of. Hmm. And if I'm doing things good, it's only because of God's grace then. Mm-hmm. And it, um, I, I still, I, I regularly still think to myself, um, it is God's grace in my life that I'm alive. And it's God's grace that I discovered what I th- would now call better theology in a season that I needed it. Understanding God's sovereignty. Um, really that bankruptcy season of my life. Also, I mean, I prayed more than I ever prayed in my life. Yeah. 2011, 2012, I would get up and, and pray more than I ever had begging God to rescue me from this begging God that can I just find one deal that turns all around? Can I make, can I get one deal that makes me a million bucks and kind of turn this all around? You know, can I, and uh, God didn't bring me a deal that made me a million bucks. God brought me his presence and his grace. Hmm. Um, and, um, but I prayed every day. I started fasting. I mean, and really that was, that was a season of my life where I said, okay, I'm going to live this out. Yeah. Where sexual sin really became like, um, I don't, I don't think I've looked at, yeah, I'm pretty sure I haven't looked at porn since that bankruptcy season Yeah, in my entire life. Like I've like, like integrity has become a real thing to me now, yeah. finally. Um, yeah. and it, it took that, like that bankruptcy season forced me to pray every day than I more than ever had. And that really hasn't stopped eight years later. Yeah. I, I pray now more than I ever did in my twenties. Um, 
I, I under, I read the Bible. Like I, I'm desperate when I go to the scripture now, cause I realize I desperate. And that, that habit was all built in that season of life. Like, Oh God, like I'm, I'm desperate for your presence right now. I need you. So I'm going to prayer and going to the scripture, desperately needing your grace. Yep. I developed that habit in 2011 and I've kind of kept it yeah. for years later. I've kept this habit of just being desperate for God. And so in the moment I didn't realize it, but as I look back on 2011, that was the, that was the season where Jesus really began to do a deeper work in me. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, uh, the, the physical bankruptcy or the, the tangible mm-hmm. bankruptcy, like really opened up a window into a, a spiritual bankruptcy Ooh, apart right. from Jesus, Yeah, which I mean, that's a tremendous grace because as the scriptures say, like all of us are spiritually bankrupt, mm-hmm. but it's just many of us don't have eyes to see it or refuse to acknowledge it. Like many of us, like you had friends who would come alongside you and give you advice and you're like, no, 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 I, I got this. Like, yeah. look at my track record. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. So many of us still like approach uh, our spiritual lives or our morality of just that it's like, Oh, look, I, look at all my past. Like I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty hot stuff. When we've got other people around us that are saying like, Hey, like there's serious issues here. Yeah. And so what a grace, like that the Lord would, would use this, this tangible bankruptcy mm-hmm. to bring you to this awareness, which I think is what mm-hmm. that pastor in Florida was recognizing in mm-hmm. you as well yeah. of that. Like, Hey, Kenny, like you're no longer dependent upon your own strength or upon your experience or upon how well things have gone for you either in business or in ministry as like the, the key to your, your future success in ministry. Like now you, you truly acknowledge that like anything good that comes about through my life has to be because of the grace of God at work in and through me. Amen, brother. (laughs) I am. I think what you, what you just said, it, I'm going to steal by the one to use that because it really was, uh, it was God using a, a material bankruptcy to really show me, Hey, Kenny, there's some spiritual bankruptcy, like the, the same problems that the same problems that cause my business to fail are the same things that will cause mm-hmm. my spirituality to be impacted negatively um, for the same, for, for a lot of the same reasons. Yeah. And, and occasionally those things still crop up. Uh, yeah. regularly every daily, yeah. my, my own arrogance, my own pride, yeah. my own thinking that my wisdom is better than others. Uh, my own tendency to find my value and my achievements. Yep. Um, and, and the praise of people, all, all those things are still things that plague me yeah. regularly. Um, the only difference I find in my life today than 10 years ago is that, is, is that I recognize that I, I, it, it drives me to just desperately seek God's grace. Yes. Um, where early in my life, it drove me to just hustle more, to yeah. do more. Yeah. Or it drove me to porn mm-hmm. or it drove me to X, Y, Z thing for fulfillment or to numb me in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, where today, when I sense those things, I go, oh, I, I got to go. I got to go get me some Jesus. Yeah. I got, I You're gotta, able to stare him straight in the <laughs> face now, you know, and, uh, and know where to go with them as far as mm-hmm. to come before the Lord who both offers forgiveness mm-hmm. and gives you strength to, to face them, fight them as, yeah. as amazing, man. Uh, so to the, uh, to the young 20 something who's, uh, who's hustling of which there are many out there. Yeah. Um, and what's, uh, 
what's your counsel to, uh, to somebody who's in a, in a similar spot as you were in, uh, you know, when you were 27 years old and just feeling on the top of the world. And a lot of that's implicit in everything that you said here, but just if you were going to, you know, make it explicit. Yeah. Um, man, there's so many things (laughs) at the end of the day. Um, my, my friend Jamin said it to me back in 2007 and he said, keep digging. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately like dig into Jesus. Yeah. Like the, <laughs> the, the, the junk is coming. Yeah. Like the tough time is coming. The tribulation is coming. The, the trial is coming. It, it, it is, co- is going to come. Um, and it is either going to, I, either you can walk into it humbly or it's going to humble you. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say to the young person or any person at the end of the day, man, humble yourself or you will be humbled. Yeah. Um, I, I would have experienced a lot less pain, I think, in my life if I had walked with more humility early on. Um, and ultimately, God used a very painful situation that's still tender for me to talk about. Yeah. It still hurts. Um, but it drives me to humility. If you're the young hustler, got a lot going on. Um, man, like you are not as great as you think you are. And uh, you desperately need God's grace in your life more than you realize. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I would say to 24 year old Kenny, if I could go back to, yeah. if I could say, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's what I would say. <laughs> Amen, brother. Oh, it's so good, man. Well, I, uh, I appreciate your willingness to, to open up about, yeah. you know, things that are still, still tender that the Lord is still tending to. And yet, um, what an encouragement, the ways that God has met you, the ways that God has kept you in so many ways, the ways that he's, uh, restored you and is using you in, in ministry. So grateful to have you on staff at City's Church and Lord willing in the coming months, even becoming a, a pastor here and, and serving in that, that ministry as well. So bro, thank you, brother, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gospel Stories. This podcast is a production of Cities Church. You can learn more about Cities Church and find several other resources by visiting citieschurch.com. We'll be back soon with another conversation, so be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you were encouraged by what you've heard here, please leave us a review, or better yet, give it a share so that more folks can hear about the work of Jesus in the lives of his people. And finally, a special thank you to Sarah Groves for our theme music. All right. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back soon. To trust him more.